Guys, welcome to another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast. And on the line today, I have Scott Jeffrey. Now, Scott, first question I always ask people that come on the show is share with us your health journey up until this point. Oh, that's a that could be a long answer. That could take let's, up our whole time. Yeah, I mean, I mean, let's kind of get into some of it and uh, pick it apart as we will, maybe. Sure, sure. Um, well, I was sick all the time as a kid. Like I was like had uh, sinus infections, um, strep throat, you name it. I was out of school constantly. Um, even through college, I was going to the uh, uh, was University of Michigan. I was going to health services like every every month, and it was kind of getting ridiculous. Um, and so that was sort of you know the pain is usually what what what, what drives the change, right? So. I, um, I started going to different kinds of health seminars, uh, learning about, um, you know, alkaline diets, uh, uh, hydration, um, food combining, like what, you name it, you know, at, at that time, this was in the late nineties. Um, and I started to see changes, uh, for sure. Like I, I stopped getting uh, sick often. I felt like my immune system was, was getting stronger. And, um, and then that brought me into, I stayed interested in the health side, but I got more interested in the mental and emotional and how that was really the, the root cause and influence of, uh, of physical health. Well, and exactly. So when I say health, that's what I, I want to kind of dive into all of this. And I think that brings us to like a, a perfect point. Like, um, and, and I think you're right though. Like a lot of people do have that same, like, Hey, there was something going on when I was younger, when I was a kid, whatever, and just yeah. wanting to get to the root of that. So where did that kind of what caused that switch? I mean, sure, you, you started getting like just more on the purely physical, but where did it go to that mental, emotional, and wh where was that big changeover for you? Well, I mean, I think first it started from just education, right? It's like you start to hear about this body-mind connection, and at first it seems like more theoretical than anything else, right? Like how, <laughs> how could your emotions and feelings be influencing your physical health? But then, I don't know, after a while, maybe because you read it enough times or at some point, I think there was there for me, um, it, it just became obvious that when I was in a better mind space that I was less likely to, you know, like feel weak inside or feel like I get that early onset of, oh, I'm getting sick kind of thing. Um, Later on, though, this is more interesting, I, I, I started to kind of understand uh, how these archetypes work. And I started to see that there was this, um, this hypochondriac that because it was sick all the time and used to getting treated, right, it, it, it was used to having the attention uh, on itself. Okay, what does it need now? Oh, a new supplement. Oh, uh, uh, this this new uh, detox will be the thing. Or uh, this person is a is a very skilled practitioner in this. And uh, you know, having been to that kind of alternative health thing, you know, going to six different kinds of acupuncturists, for example, and then you start to think, you start to realize it's like, okay, there's something else going on here. Go. So, that's. I had never thought of as a as an archetype before, like the hypochondriac. Uh, I'd actually like to go down maybe archetypes in general, but that specifically because I think that is very interesting. Like you said, it's I, I see some of that in myself. The second you said it, and the way that you said it, it's like for me, it's like, hey, if I'm around six people, not that big of a deal. But I'm still always trying to be aware of what are those other influences that that might lead to illness. So I'm still always sure. trying to work on that. So could you unpackage that maybe a little sure, bit? Sure. Yeah, of course. So there's, there, there's all in, in the realm of archetypes, there's always complementary forces that are kind of in this bipolar game with each other. And in the case of the hypochondriac, it's the hypochondriac and then the, the healer or the doctor. 
And so we, we project the healer or the doctor onto experts, onto physicians, onto different kinds of practitioners. Um, and then we are the hypochondriac, we're the one that needs to be treated. And so, but that, that when it's not projecting it out, it's like when you go on your own health journey and you start to feel empowered to figure out what's going on in yourself and you realize you're a random sample of one and it's up to you to you know, take control of your health and all that, that's when you bring the, the doctor back inside. The, the healer, right? And so you you recollect the projection that's in you, but now those two have to work it out. And um, the more energy you give either one of those, the stronger the other one gets. So the more you're used to treating yourself, that's why if you talk to like a lot of people in the, like the biohacking community, for example, um, there's there's always a new thing they're working on, right? Trying to trying to heal, right? They 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 do some hormonal imbalance thing, and then they are onto this, and right, whatever the next, and then it's like, oh, I have to go into ketosis because if I'm not in ketosis, then what the hell? Like, what's going on here? Uh, and then it's like whatever the latest buzzword basically gets fed into the hypochondriac. It's what happens to medical students when they're learning about these different diseases. They're like, oh, I have that. Oh, I have that. Oh, I have that. But we all have that. We all have that part in us that's seeking attention, but it's it's kind of unhealthy attention. Right, because it's it's basically if it does has nothing to heal and nothing wrong and no symptomology at all, it can't exist, and so there's nothing to draw energy towards it, and so it will literally manifest problems in your body and in your mind, right? That will have to be attended to, and that's how it will feel cared for. That was that was wild. I I loved it. Uh, it makes me think about uh, maybe about two years ago. Wayne, I am sorry, I'm forgetting his last name. One of somebody else that I had on the podcast, he, he was talking about um, more just like getting sick, and he said like um, he's he's a Czech practitioner, and he was talking like uh, one of his clients that day uh, canceled on him. Uh, said I don't want to get you sick. He goes, and, and we were talking about it on the podcast. He's like, you can't get me sick. I don't want to get sick. It's just like a very uh, I, I see that is uh, very like a similar thing. Like I'm piecing these two together. So yeah, thank you for sharing. I think that's a very important part. It was like. Okay, well, if you're bringing light to it, if you're, uh, at least especially the medical student, like you learn about all these things, all of a sudden you have it. Uh, if you had never learned about it, you would have never had it. It's kind of exactly. ironic. <laughs> uh, you could also watch, like if you take supplements, like yeah. watch the energy that you take supplements with. Like watch the part that's, oh, I got to take this. And it's almost like becomes, it can become just another form of neuroses. <gasps> I have to, I haven't taken this. It's like, oh, I think I'm deficient in magnesium. You know, like that's a, that's like one of the big ones. Ah, I must be deficient in this, right? And then and when when you take it from that place of deficiency, all you're doing is feeding that sense of lack, right? Instead of realizing that we can produce all of it within ourselves. And where did you where did you pick up on the simplicity of this? Because you, you can I can see like the crossover you have of that you understand the simplicity of health and just what the basics are. And even just a lot of the stuff I've read, you ha you have that background, but you have, I, I think you have your foot in like the biohacker sphere there, but then you have like that, the high performance sphere, and like y you round it out very well. Like where did they, have you just spent a lot of time like in each of these and then just come back to the middle? Maybe I, I did. I, I spent kind of like 10 years in a cave <laughs> type of thing, uh, going deep into all these before they were a thing. Like I didn't know there was a biohacking. I didn't know like when I when I started to kind of come out and see like what people were into and what was like the latest trending things. And I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. It's like, oh yeah, I was into that. So um, I I guess so. I guess that's what happened. Is I I've gone. I just I I ran through a lot of this stuff. Um, I don't think quickly. I just 
none of it, I guess, grabbed me and I didn't identify too intensely with any of it. I just kept moving with whatever felt next. And a lot of times to my detriment, because I cut off things that were very important and useful and had to later come back and be like, oh, no, I got to bring that back in. That was that was that was useful. Yeah. Was there anything big that you like just remember where it's like, oh, wow, that was probably one of the biggest things you skipped over kind of thing? Well, I mean, not on a, on a health side, you well, know, just on life health, in general, yeah, even, life yeah. in general. Sure. Yeah. My early thirties, I, I, I skipped over money. Like I, I said, money wasn't important, you know, like I thought I was done with that. You know, I had moved from uh, a life in New York city doing one thing and then moved up into the mountains in upstate New York and decided like just lived a very different existence. And it was great for that time, but I didn't include it's like there's a um, there's a statement uh, Ken Wilber usually uh, is the one who's attributed with from um, the integral uh, theory guy, but uh, he talks about transcending and including as opposed to transcending and disassociating. And so as we kind of move beyond something, we have a tendency of cutting off what came before it. Whereas like it, you, what you need to do is you move beyond it, but also include what was good in it. And so that's a difficult thing because it's it, it's more comfortable to disassociate, to cut, cut yourself off, say, oh, that stuff's not important. You know, like you can go, like, for example, you see that the mind, you start to really connect how the mind is literally controlling your body and influencing like basically like 99 percent of 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 illness is is psychosomatic in that way, in my in my experience, in my opinion. Um, but then you could say, well, then I, it doesn't matter what I eat. And that's not true. Right. But that's that would be disassociating from like other aspects of lifestyle and health. Um, but it's like, OK, so how do I include that? But then go on to a higher sphere and see how this mind and the matrix that we're in is is influencing our biology. Yeah. Then you're including it. So I don't know what I know the question I'm trying to get to here. This is I have two kids three-year-old and a one-year-old right and sometimes they get sick so I've gotten sick much less than they have over the last couple of years uh, so my wife has as well and I'm curious because I agree like I feel like a lot of illnesses still come about because of the mind bringing them on right but how do we how does that come into play when somebody where it's like they're not necessarily even aware of illnesses, but yet they're still picking them up? Is that maybe just that last five percent type thing? Well, it's like if you look at if you look at the research on, on on like the unconscious and behavior shows, it's like we're you know the neuroscience could say we're over ninety percent unconscious basically. Like you'll see ninety five, ninety seven, anecdotally ninety nine percent, and so we're really not aware of what's happening as much as our ego wants to tell us we're in control, right? Which means that like the majority of our attitudes, thoughts, emotions, um, and behaviors are like, it's happening behind the scenes without us picking up on it. So in the case of like in a family environment, um, we're like designed to be like the container for all of these like emotional energies, these emotional waves. But because we're not even conscious of the majority of them happening and our containers are sort of leaking, right, this, which is actually a term they use in, uh, in uh, Buddhist and Taoist um, literature. They talk about leakage, which is like the mind overthinking, but also just uh, the emotional energy leaking out. Um, and so as that leaks out, uh, it leaks onto those around us. And children are more open containers. 
And so, like, for example, if there's some, like, rage or some emotion that you're not conscious of and not able to express or contain in some way, it could go on to your kid and then your kid gets sick. That, that absolutely makes sense. Yeah, where it's one of those, like, sometimes, we, hey, if we just get overly stressed out because if they might be having a rough day in general and then it just kind of just perpetuates like their snowballs like each one feeds into the other yeah exactly uh, that exactly. actually makes a lot more sense now thank you for that and, that was a great explanation of it though too so thank you sure sure yeah the uh the Taoists have something called uh guardian chi which is like we would equate that to like the immune system but it's basically essentially like a subtle energy field around the body and that when it's when it's healthy when it's strong we're impervious to, to, to pretty much anything but for the most part due to just different forms of levels of trauma there's breaks in that field and it gets weaker and weaker over time and the more weaker it gets the more susceptible to illnesses we get and the more you know other mental and emotional challenges we have you know as we get older so now I, and I don't want to screw up the pronunciation is it John Jen the Stan Lake John John yeah okay yeah. Now, is is that like your preferred method of uh, cultivating chi? Uh, are there any forms of like qigong, tai chi that you yourself just kind of subscribe to? Oh, many, yeah. Um, Zhang Zhang is to me like it. Well, it's really it's the foundation of all the internal martial arts. Of well, tai chi is the one that's most well known, but also bagua, sing yi, all, all the internal arts. Well, those are the three sister forms, have a foundation in Zhang Zhang and standing, and Qigong as well. Um, and qi, uh, the, the Zhang Zhang, the standing posture, isn't really as much for cultivating energy as much as it is for consolidating energy. Um, so what's happening is our, 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 you know, in their language of qi is like scattered most of the time. And because of really emotional trauma, uh, there's just uh, energetic blocks, uh, which translate to emotions essentially being stored in different places in the body. Uh, and so um, the standing meditation is designed to help um, unblock those those pa passages so that the chi could then, um, uh, the, this information essentially can can get, uh, consolidate in the what's called the lower dantian or the lower torso. Uh, and then it begins a different type of process, which if you want, we could go into, but I yeah. I would love to, yeah, if you don't mind. Oh, sure. So it's, um, if you look at it, like, like we think of alchemy as like a Western, you know, sort of uh, practice or art as a precursor to um, to chemistry. But uh, the original alchemists were actually these uh, these Chinese Taoists because it predates it by at least, you know, 1500 years. And they didn't use it wasn't metaphorical and it wasn't about creating gold, you know, from lead. Good. I was going to ask you about this because I saw it somewhere and, and I was curious more about where this all came from. Yeah. Yeah, so they did have, uh, there was part of this, the, uh, these Don practices where they had what's called a golden pill. Um, and so there were, there was an external sort of golden pill that was supposed to be like a pill of immortality, whether, whether or not that actually existed or not, I, I don't know. But that's probably where the Western version of it came from too, because there was always a lot of cross-pollination between the two. Um, but anyway, so the, the, the lower torso of the body when it's in proper alignment, basically creates this cauldron. And when the uh, when your energy uh, can can sink down first, it fills up through your through your legs, and then it begins to heat up. 
like literally heat up, like where it like feels like almost like a burning sensation. And then through that, it's, a, it's called a nidan firing process. Um, there's a way of drawing the energy up through uh, the, the, I forget if it's the two or the zhu meridian, the one in the back, that goes up to the crown and then down the front. And that forms the microcosmic orbit, uh, which you know a lot of people are familiar with now. Uh, and so when, when that channel is more open, that's supposed to help clear the other like tributaries, the smaller channels and different meridians that uh, tend to get clogged. Um, and what I like about this is that it's, it's really a form of self-empowerment in the sense that like you're not going to someone else to help heal you, right? Uh, you're basically taking that into your own hands. Now, you, you generally do need some sort of instructor or someone to help kind of get into alignment at first. But then eventually the process is supposed to kind of be more um, of a intuitive self self taught type of thing, and really what you're doing is you're getting back into your body. You're bringing the mind back into the body, which is where it's supposed to be. The reason why we have so many psychosomatic illnesses is that our our mind has been divorced from our body, cut off from from our body, and so this is about bringing it back in and then letting the body reset itself on its own. So it's all about being like more natural back in our instinctual being as opposed to thinking all the time. Now, when you refer to the mind, what are you talking about with that? Uh, the, the mind in this context would just be the, the thinking machine. Like I, it's, it, you could call it the brain, but it's really just the, the, the process of thinking, just to put it simply. When you're working with people, when you're coaching clients, I mean, how do you, how do you bring this all together? Like, is it, is it more of a, hey, you just kind of look at where they're at, trying to meet them there and, and just trying to, because I know this is, what we're talking about isn't always uh, accepted most easily, I guess, right? Sure. Especially for, you have that hard charging A-type personality. Like, where, where do you meet somebody with that? Sure. Well, if you look at like, you know, everyone knows, like in the health community, everyone knows meditation is important, Right. Um, like we've all seen like tons of research or cited like research cited that shows how many benefits it has and we can you know probably list a bunch of right now if we wanted to but the challenge is, is that for a, like a type a and achiever type of personality meditation is totally sadistic because <laughs> you're basically taking someone that's like hyperactive right that that's has a lot of like energy to kind of do and go or at least pushing themselves to do that and telling you to sit down and stay still and don't move and stop thinking Right. You know, not really, but you get the idea. It's like you're basically sit still and pay attention. Right. Which is a lesson that we didn't like in, in school and we don't like it now. Um, and so I, I don't really talk too much about it. I, I put it in the context of centering, which is more of you see um, the way the traditions, the way we've been introduced to meditation in the West is, in my opinion, counterproductive um, because we've been kind of influenced by like the monastery form of meditation, which is a very minor like aspect of the meditative traditions. The, that was for the people, that was designed, it was a bunch of basically, the way Alan Watts explains it, um, is that there is an American philosopher who essentially brought a lot of the translations of uh, the Eastern texts to the West. He's like, it was a bunch of old guys sitting around that were kind of in a really nice state, and some young people wanted to be in that state too. And they tried to guide them into that process, and they saw they lacked all the discipline to do so. So most of the monastery came about as a structure to develop discipline, not necessarily just to develop the mind. Um, 
and so there's what they explain in Taoism. There's there's um there's a living method and a dead method. A dead method is how we essentially practice meditation, which is or how we're taught. It's like sit for 20 minutes in the morning, and now you could check off your list and say I meditated. You know, and you feel good about yourself. <laughs> um, a living method is different. In a living method, you're you might meditate in the morning to set the context, but then you're taking it with you throughout the day, right? So um, in the in the context of what, what we're talking about, when I'm working with people. Um, I have different sort of methods and techniques that I might uh, suggest uh, to do for, say, 30 seconds. Minute tops, right? Because that's something you can work with, and then you start to see tangible results. See, what, what's cool about Qigong is that once it kind of hooks you, like once you start to feel it, it you start to get pulled towards it because your, your brain likes it, your body likes it, right? In the beginning, it's another have to, it's another thing to do, and there's resistance. But once you start to feel, it's like, wow, what's going on here? Like, my hands are like floating. Like, I, you know, I feel like I'm glued to the ground. What's going on? Like, you start to feel these sensations, and there's a curiosity about it, right? And then you start to notice, like, wow, I can, I could see in 3D, like real 3D, you know, things like that. It's like all the mental fog is gone. You're like, oh wow, this, this is, this is actually very practical, right? And so even the achiever gets behind it in that way, uh, and then it can, can build steam. But just to round off the question, yeah, you have to look to where the person's at. Like if, if they're more on the financial like like sort of route, um, you can't start talking about meditation. Like there's a, there's a momentum there. You have to work with, like you said, where they're at and then introduce different concepts when the space opens up and it feels appropriate to do so. Otherwise, the ego just creates resistance. And once there's resistance, it doesn't matter how great something is, it's not going to happen. And I think... At least for me, one of the easiest ways to get people on board too, uh, especially somebody who is that hard chargers, yeah. I, at least for myself like and people that I've worked with, it's like I recognize and they've recognized when, when you really are getting truly like into some deep meditation throughout the day, you sleep so much better and even just require less sleep. And for people that want to just get more shit done, basically, like, yeah. that's an easy selling point for them right. too. Um, as well as that's like, true. hey, we talked about like the not getting sick, all those things like the less time you're missing for whatever it is, uh, yeah. people people usually get behind you on that too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of ways to kind of spin it where the the achiever doesn't like say, I don't have time for that. Yeah. Now, one of the things I'm curious about is, uh, I think uh, on the you were on the, the 3030 Health podcast, and you I think you guys went into archetypes a little bit, so I want to touch back on that for a second. Is I've been on like my understanding of archetypes, not necessarily understanding, I guess maybe is I always think of like a top three to five, I mean, maybe 10 archetypes, but you were talking like even up to 50, like, is that something that you'll dive into for somebody or even for yourself? Like you want to look at all of those or do you want to focus on maybe what those predominant ones are? I guess it depends how crazy you are craziest yeah. person let's go let's go i mean if you're if you're like if you want to like for example um what's the book the untethered soul yeah uh, a singer you know he basically talks about how the psyche is is very complicated and so don't even go there right and i can appreciate that um and i i i like that idea but in my experience that's not really an option 
um, because it's the stuff where that you don't go to is the stuff that like the, the, the Greeks had a saying, it's the gods that you ignore, the gods that destroy you. And so it's the stuff that you don't know in you is what's you really the, the root cause of most of your behavior anyway. Or your, um, your shadow, I guess, right? Your like, shadow, okay. yeah. Well, your shadow is essentially all of these archetypes that you don't know. Okay. Yeah. So um, the, the research on subpersonalities, which is another term for archetypes, says that the average person has about 12. However, they've been able to determine that, I'm not sure. Um, in terms of the, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an interesting, like you said, the research says, but yeah, I don't know about that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the traditions, which again, like we, we think of like these Eastern arts as like more, um, esoteric or like more spiritual or something as opposed to psychological. But the, the truth is that, you know, Buddhist psychology, Taoist psychology um, is thousands of years ahead of us. And Jung saw this. Uh, well, Jung did see this as much. Campbell saw this more. Uh, Joseph Campbell and, and Wilbur uh, has brought that, that point home. And so if you look at them as, as psychologies, they say that basically, and they call them in pre-modern terms ghosts and monsters, that they, they usually refer to as a hundred. And um, I, I, in my experience, it's minimum of 50. Uh, but uh, it depends, again, like our, it, it's everything that you're influenced with in childhood, basically all these archetypes come rushing in. So all the, the television programming, movies programming, all of that activates all these archetypes and then they just run in us. That's what culture is. It's like a collection of all of these archetypes that are running. Um, so in terms of getting to know them, I think that the main thing, the, the, the best starting point to me is Robert Moore's model. He's a neo-Jungian who wrote um, King, Warrior, Magician, Lover, which is I, I uh, reference quite often on my, on my site just because it's, it's a very, I think, powerful way, especially for men, because he's really more focused on, on, on the masculine psychology. Is I found slight variations for in, for the feminine psyche, but it's also similar. But he goes into not only those four, but the bipolar shadows of each. So, for example, the king has the tyrant on the active pole, and then the uh, weakling prince. Um, just understanding those two archetypes can just be mind expanding, and you can see so much into our behavior because pretty much our entire culture and society reinforces all the shadows, uh, shadow archetypes, not any of the healthy ones. So, uh, well, what you perceive as a healthy one. So getting to know what's running your operating system is very useful. So those eight, I think, would be a good starting point for anyone. Are those probably, are, the, are those more of the predominant ones, would you say, than in the West, or would that be like as a, as a world as a whole? I think we've now infected everyone with them. That makes sense. Everywhere McDonald's went, <laughs> the tyrant, you know, like yeah. literally like they are everywhere. Like it's not like porn is in one part of the world. You know, if it's, right. if it's, if it's, if it's wired and receives our media, it's everywhere. And, and Hollywood you find in, in Russia. So like it's, we've brought it everywhere. Now there's different variations. Each culture has different expressions. Like the archetypes 
are representative images, but they're behavior patterns behind them. And so, like, you know, like, for example, you might see, like, Korean, they go like this or something. We don't do that, right? So that's a different archetypal pattern that's in them. But the underlying uh, archetypes behind them are mostly, like, as Jung said, collective. So they're, they're universal. Now, how much, how much are we able to influence that? Like now once I, and I should say not necessarily growing up, but like in our present state, like what influence can we have over those? I should say. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, here's, here's where, like, this is where, like when Jung first, um, he was the first one to get access to some of these Eastern texts from this guy, Richard Wilhelm, uh, who translated a few texts. Like one was the secret of the golden flower. And, um, and later he got, he got, um, uh, Ramana Maharshi's um, uh, book on his spiritual teachings. Um, but the challenge is that the translations he had were really bad. And uh, <laughs> they had, and because the person translated was the German who didn't have any context for Buddhist and Taoist literature. So he didn't understand what he was referencing. And apparently the translation itself, like from, from what he was translating, was probably not uh, an authentic text. And so instead of uh, seeing like like ha- seeing a mind-opening experience, to him he just equated it to his own psychology and thought it was the same. Um, so what he did was he tried to work with the archetypes through dream work and active imagination, which was his two tools that he used. The dreams would help show you the archetypes in your psyche, and then in active imagination you would basically talk to them in a, like a live fantasy. It's it's what there's a an integrated therapy called um, IFS internal family systems is based on this idea where you basically talk to they call archetypes parts and so you have parts and there's protectors of those parts and then there's um, they have a whole language and it's it's a it's a very interesting new way of of working with them but the challenge with them and the challenge with Jung is the same um, what the traditions explain is that. They say not to work with the images because they're infinite and too complex, sort of what Singer is saying in Untethered Soul. Uh, instead, what they say is, and this is more of where I go in, in um, a lot of my guides, is, is to focus on finding your center. Because your center is this neutral, calm, sort of expansive, empty, active space that can naturally regulate these archetypes. And so when you're out of center, it's like there's always an archetype driving the bus. When you're in the center, the self, the higher self, you could say, is driving the bus and they can create organization in, it it can create organization in the psyche. Um, The way they explain it in Taoist literature is there's the, the guests and the hosts. There's like your psyche is essentially like this house filled with rowdy guests. And there's no host to bring order, right? They're like chugging beers, they're throwing like stuff through the window. It's like it's it's a it's it's crazy. It's Animal House. Uh, but then there's a host, which is the center, the self, that can come and, and be this organizing principle. Um, and it's, so, if you can abide in the self or hold to the self, hold to the center, as they would say, like in the Tao Te Ching, then you can create, or then organization can be established. But it's not like the ego that's trying to establish it or the personality 
right? See, that's the difference is our, our identification is with our conscious personality, which is a wreck, right? It's been conditioned by a really messed up environment, which is why like we're looking at it from a health, we could look at it from a health perspective, right? And see how we're getting bombarded and our biology is getting attacked from every angle. Um, but from a psychic level and emotional level, it's far, far worse. Uh, and so trying to work with the personality or what they call the conscious spirit is the error that we make in Western psychology. Um, whereas in the East, they say, no, 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 you got to, you got to root yourself in the center first, and then it will work itself, it work that out through this process called stopping and seeing, like stopping random thoughts and then seeing further and further into your insanity <laughs> and the source of the insanity. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, I, I, I like that way. I, I don't know why, like for me, I guess it's, I always start to think of like, all the answers really are within me, right? And, and do I necessarily know them? Uh, or can I always bring them to light? No, but being able to, I think, connect, like you said, with the center or anything like that, like that will kind of show us and lead us in those right directions. But it's trying to get away from, hey, I know when I go into the clinic later on, I'll be driving past Starbucks, I'll be driving past McDonald's, I'll be driving past, like you said, yeah. like all of these other places just having so much influence on us. Uh, and if you watch any sort of TV, if you watch any sort of, uh, listen to any sort of, like just about anything, I mean, you're going to be bombarded with that from some angle then too. And it's already happened. I mean, if you consider just what, if if you look at like the mind as, a, as an operating system, like look at all the programs it's downloaded, like it's tens of thousands. <laughs> Yeah, what, and, what, where's the where's the like just the erase like? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Where's the reset? Oh, yeah, so that's like easier. that's where that that's the what is it? Uh, eternal, spotless, uh, the Jim Carrey movie. Uh, eternal exactly sun, the spotless spot, spotless mind, eternal sunshine. I don't remember how to put it all no, together. Well, but you, I think you've gotten all the words there, but it's not in the right <laughs> order. Right. Uh, anyway, all right. So actually, here's I'm curious because you already referenced that. It talks about Animal House. Uh, and some of the stuff that you you wrote, I was reading there. There were some Star Wars references. Like, do you actually enjoy like looking, watching movies, and seeing a lot of a lot of what's going on in that? Like, do do you kind of uh, pick them apart, like on a uh, emotional psychological level? Like, I, I'm just curious on that. Yeah, for sure. Once you kind of like download this uh, this program, right. you know, in terms of being able like have a decoder. Yeah, you start seeing everything through this this lens where you see the different archetypes. Um, you can also um, work with your shadow that way. You have a certain reaction to a character and you're like, okay, why am I reacting to that character? And so you start to bring back, okay, so yeah, I don't, I don't know that in myself, otherwise I wouldn't be reacting. You know, so there's 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 that element of it. Wait, say, say that again, please. Like, if you sure. don't know that in yourself, you wouldn't be reacting? If, you, when you're reacting to another individual, either on screen or in person, um, it's because uh, you have a disowned part of yourself. So that's an aspect of your shadow. Otherwise, you just see that person say, oh, they're acting like that, and no big deal, right? But if you see some, like a character being like sneaky or beguiling and like conniving and you're like oh like you're getting angry it's like oh then you don't know you're manipulative you're a manipulator right because when you know you're a manipulator it's like yep yeah i know that i you know it's kind of like yep i'm like that too right 
But when there's like, that's the whole thing. We tend to identify, our conscious ego, our conscious spirit uh, identifies, tends to identify with the hero, the protagonist. But we're really the antagonist and all the other, the whole cast of characters. That's, the, that's where in terms of like how many archetypes, watch any movie, you're all of those characters, right? And so you're seeing into the psyche of the writer, but those are all characters represented in, in every psyche. So like, you know, a big epic film like uh, Lord of the Rings, you know, it's like you can identify with Frodo, you could identify with Gandalf or Aragorn or whoever, but you're also, you know, Sauron and Saruman. And like, you know, you have to be able to identify the qualities, not the, 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 the name of the person, just the behavioral patterns of, of that character. And then you get to know more of what's going on. Um, so yeah, I do see that. And I also think just like fairy tales and myths, I think in general, there's a lot of truth in, in films. I, I try not to watch too much, to be honest, but when I do, I, I, I make it that sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to shut that part off at this point. <laughs> uh, well, what about your writing? Like what got you into writing? I mean, you have so much just awesome stuff on your website and I'm going to warn people if you go there, Thank be you. careful. Like you will get sucked in. You will lose <laughs> several hours uh, in, in a very good way. So like, uh, I, I really do uh, appreciate that Scott, but wh where did, where did it kind of all start? Where did it all come from? Um, well, it's like Maslow said, like a writer has to write, a painter has to paint, a musician has to play. Like, you know, I, I had, um, I had written, um, a bunch of books in my early thirties that were mostly like just projects that I was working on that curious, like I was curious about creativity. And so I spent five years researching creativity and wrote a book about that. And I was interested in this uh, spiritual teacher and became his biographer and wrote about that. And, you know, like, so I, I had different, I, I was always writing no matter what I was doing. I just enjoyed the process. Um, and more introverted part and connecting ideas. It was just in enjoyable. Um, but, and it, professionally, I was working with so many different thought leaders for like 20 years, and, but I was always doing it from behind the scenes. Um, and so a few years ago, I just decided like, you know, I had another part of myself I wanted to actualize. And so I just started writing those in-depth guides on certain topics that I didn't feel like were covered too well, at least, you know, online. And so that's, yeah. What is, so you said the writing process though, like what? What does your writing process look like? I mean, I find everybody is, is so different with that. And I, yeah. I, I love hearing about that because I am, I, I love to write as well. So I, I always like to pick apart uh, and just see what I can pick up on from other people too. Sure. Well, um, I write in immersive, like in an, in an immersive sort of process in that, like uh, I write in the mornings. Um, I don't like, I won't check email before or during I phone is is off or on airport mode to eliminate all distractions, you know, um, and I usually have it set the night before if I'm going to be writing in the morning, what I'll be writing on. And, you know, then within like at this point now, because I've written well over a million words, it's like it's easier to just get into a flow. Um, but I'll have a just a basic structure of what I'm working with. I'll try not to like I differentiate when I'm doing research versus when I'm ready to write, you know, and usually when like if I'm going to be writing on something, it's already sort of like sketched in my mind, so to speak. I might do an outline if if it's going to be a long piece. Um, otherwise, I just start grifting. 
I, uh, I write, um, I think it was William Zinsner who said like, good, like good writing is good editing. Uh, and it was I know Roy, what you're talking about. Yes, yeah. Yes. Uh, and, uh, Roy, Roy Williams, a wizard of ad guy. I remember him saying something like, if you want to write well, write badly. But that might have also been William Zinsser. I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> uh, on Writing Well is the book by William Zinsser. It's an excellent book. Um, but yeah, so I, I really shut that editor off, the critic, uh, which uh, when someone asked me, like, how can I write so much? It's like, it's that. Like, I write, like, the first draft, I just don't care what it looks like. And I don't, I don't, I don't try to edit at all. And then I will edit ruthlessly over and over and over and over again uh you know as much as like 10 hours if, if necessary of, of editing and so and i work in blocks of i try not to work more than two hours at a time but if i'm in a rift i might go you know longer and then i take as long a break as i can 30 minutes to an hour um and then i don't do that more than twice a day if i do it that much what does a break look like for you well, I live in the woods, so usually if it's not raining, I'll go outside and go for a walk, uh, or I'll do some Zhang Zhang. Um, just anything not staring at a screen. <laughs> well, and that was actually me. One of my questions, like, do you write by hand? Do you write on a computer? Uh, because they're still very different things, too. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I I used to like I, I still like, you know like I'll I'll write yeah, on notes, a notepad. Yeah. Uh, and I'll I'll jot down ideas on a notepad, but it's just so much faster to work. I agree. Yeah. So it's uh, it's it's taken over for years. Though I used moleskins and and notepads first, and then trans transferred it over. Now as I'm writing, it's just like I I it's like the pen doesn't move fast enough. And have you ever like worked with any even just dictation then too? No, I I again it's like I I. If I had to talk it out, I would. Uh, I, I well, I shouldn't say that. When I'm when I'm driving, I'll use a recorder. Sure. Uh, but uh, but otherwise, no, I I, I I wouldn't enjoy it. Do you? Do you use a recorder? I can't. I I've been starting to experiment with it. I'll I'll basically leave it at that because I can't. The flow isn't there. I don't know why. Like we can talk. We could have this conversation. I can easily yeah. think what I want to say next. Like if, if I, and or like I have some notes in front of me, like I'm good with that, but yeah. I can dictate a, a podcast. Like if I want to do a standalone and talk on a subject, I can do that, but it still has a very different feel than when I write it. And, and I don't know why that is. Um, but I just kind different of different part. Yeah. It, you it see is. the part, the podcaster is one is, is operating from one archetype. Like for me, the like and the writer is a different one. Like uh, that's why, like there's like a writer, a philosopher. You know, there's the deep thinker. Those those all share qualities, but they're they're ultimately different. Uh, I think that's almost the perfect way to bring about the archetype as we're talking about it here. It's yeah. it still is. They're they're different. Yeah, and that's where like it's it's and those are like. I know the ones in me, for example, that are more on the healthy side versus the ones that are not. And so like those are the ones that serve me more. Uh, and so creating a sacred space, as Campbell, Joseph Campbell would say, to enable them to kind of be is is important. That's where like if I'm trying to write and I'm like part of me is wanting to go to email, that means I'm blending, meaning there's another archetype trying to hijack the writer. Right. And so I, I, that means I'm out of the center. 
when I'm in the center, the writer just writes, and there's abs- there's no obstruction. That's what when they talk about create the flow state. That's the flow state. So the flow state is when you're basically immersed in that one archetype that is that is designed to do whatever the task is that you're doing. Now, do you find it maybe, and I guess it might depend on the situation, but more beneficial to, I mean, if something like that keeps creeping up, keeps creeping up, are you better off going and doing uh, some of your uh, meditation or walk in the woods? Uh, or are you better off, hey, stop, like set a clock for five minutes, check your email, get it done, and then you're clear of that and you can go back? Yeah, I mean, I, you, ultimately with this stuff, it's, it's less about rules and about what do you need to do. Sometimes you need to feed the beast, right? So it's like, <laughs> like whatever you need to do to get it to release. Because um, that's the challenge is like so much of our issues with habits and, and compulsions and things like that is because everything in our environment is designed to trigger these shadows. And to reinforce like um, this, uh, what the Tao is called the lower soul, right? We have the lower soul that can be refined into the higher soul, which brings back that original spirit that can, you know, regulate things. But the lower soul is in charge, right? That's our like base consciousness. And so it's seeking gratification. That's where all like the dopamine stuff comes in and like, what can we do to like give ourselves a lift? Um, so like we've got all that so you can't ignore it you know you repress that it all grows stronger so you just find ways of navigating around it and the best thing the research shows and in from the behavioral science is really just setting up the environment you know so like not having a cue like um like if you have gmail right and you have the gmail tab open right and you see the little like red envelope that's a cue right if you have your phone on and you have a notification that's a cue so that's influencing, that's triggering uh, an aspect of your lower soul that's going to then draw your energy away from the archetype that you're trying to use to do whatever work or, you know, you're trying whatever you're trying to get done. So, Turning so, notifications but, off is so much easier doing stuff. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. I, a, a, any kind of push notification to me is like it's detrimental to to my my emotional mental well-being <laughs> I, I would never get anything done like just it just wouldn't happen i i cannot do that but i guess yeah there it is that recognition of knowing that and then hey you, you can identify with that archetype and do something about it rather than have it be that negative connotation right and when you and you see like that what's the default on our phones right it's for, to have them everything turned on well yeah right? So of like, course, the phone manufacturers, they want you on your phone as much as possible. Sure. It's habit forming by design. So it's kind of like that's where the uh, it's good to have their cognition to be able to see, okay, so this you start to see the pattern. So when this is there, I will do this, right? So, um, so you just try to set it up for the, like when we talk about writing to like what can you do to uh, help induce a flow state. Sounds is good too. Like if there's certain sound, like you know, uh, isochronic tones and things like that, that 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 help you focus. Like the headsets that we're wearing, you know, like noise canceling headsets can help eliminate certain distractions too. Um, now it's funny. Like I, you, I, not everybody can see this. So like I have only one ear covered. You have both ears covered. I feel so freaked out when I have both of them on. I don't know what it is. Like for me, I think it's like almost a safety mechanism uh, because. They work well, and I, I don't know. It's just I have to have that little bit of, like, like that's watching that's over ins- my shoulder. Like. That's instinctual. No, that's that's actually very healthy. Like, I, I think um, there's, again, there's a part that the, the animal is trying to be alert. And 
the what these what these headphones are doing, uh, the noise canceling ones, is like reducing the volume on the outside world. So I hadn't thought about those. It's like yeah, it's safety mechanism. I mean, mm-hmm. I know I'm down here in my basement. Like I'm in my office. Like chances mm-hmm. of anything happening. Like the dogs are upstairs. So mm-hmm. somebody's coming here. Like they're barking. They're going crazy. Yep. Yet I still have to have that little, like almost that sleeping with one eye open type thing. Yeah, I hear you. Well, and the sensitivities you can develop through like different meditative practices. Like I, I can't have any electricity plugged in in the bedroom. Oh like, yeah, absolutely. Not. Any, 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 even just an alarm clock, I can, I can hear it, and like it. So it, it's like for me, this, this makes it so that I can focus better because without the, the headset, uh, there's like anything even just the refrigerator you know it's like it's just far away uh it's just one more sound so but yeah you can't leave these on these are just for (laughs) quick Uh, sprints one last thing like i I mean we're coming towards the close of an hour here the pineal gland Mm. you had like was it like a four-step guide or something like just i mean yes it's more than just that but what is maybe we give people like a quick intro like what is the pineal gland uh maybe let's start with that and we can go from there a little bit well okay so all the all the glands there's a lot of different ways we could approach this in a short time period but all all the all the glands in the endocrine system are associated with the 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 energy chakras of the body so that's like kind of the bridge between the east and the west Uh, the pineal you know you could see references of, of the pine cone in like every ancient tradition from, you know, from Egypt forward and even in the Vatican, you know, it's, it's, it's everywhere. So it's, it's part of the, like generally in the occult knowledge, but now becoming more sort of widely known that, you know, it's, it's, it has a unique function. Um, and so this, this, it's associated with the, the, the third eye, which is kind of like the all-seeing eye that is a gateway, you could say, to a different dimension of reality that you know, people that have done like ayahuasca and um, different uh, psychedelic experiences you know, might be able to attest to. Um, from a, a more health perspective, it, it's a gland that regulates your, your melatonin. Um, and uh, believed to be where uh, DMT is produced, which is the active ingredient in ayahuasca. Uh, and so it's constantly emitting just low doses of DMT, especially when you, when you dream. Um, and so the... What's is, that, inter- is that why we dream? Is, I mean, is, has that been speculated on? Uh, I'm not sure, actually. Yeah, Sorry, I, no, I was just curious. It's like, a good that, question. That just kind yeah. of popped up. I, for me. I, it's it's. I would say it's it's correlated to it. So, like in terms of why, yeah, it, it very well might be. Um, so the uh, it's the melatonin is what's like kind of helping you sort of uh, regulate your circadian rhythm, sort of being in alignment with the uh, the cycles of, of of light and darkness. Uh, and so when it's regulated correctly, you sleep, you, you sleep better. But from the DMT perspective, um, what's uh, interesting is that when you look at what the traditions say, uh, and this is going you know, beyond what, what's, what's in those guides, because those are more about you know, decalcifying and detoxing and then activating. But um, the, the, you have three different dimensions. You have the gross dimension, the uh, subtle dimension, uh, 
which is like the dream, like the, and then the uh, causal dimension. So the gross is like our physical waking state. The subtle is our dream state, and then the causal is our um, is the cause of those two that came before it, right? And then beyond that is what they call the fourth state, which is non-duality. Um, and this is that you can find in both uh, Buddhist and, and Hindu scriptures. Um, so what's interesting is we, we tend to think of dreams like I don't know what your you know sort of beliefs or, or perspectives on dreams is, but if you ask a lot of different people, like a lot of people just think like oh it's just you know, uh, like Freud thought, it was just information being rehashed from the day, from the prior day. It's mostly nonsensical. And but the more you kind of get into an understanding of the psyche and how all of these images work, uh, you start to see that these things are real. And what's happening in your dream state, what happens in the imagination, has a reality to it. Um, and according to these traditions, it's not less real than this one. It's actually more real. Uh, and so that pineal gland then is sort of a gateway to uh, these other dimensions. And so to the extent that you're able to access these dimensions is said to be an extent of whether or not this gland is, is open or not. And to go really into speculation for a quick second, whether or not it was placed there at some point or developed there is also something that's unknown but that goes into it a whole nother esoteric uh thing like, yeah that, i don't know if we have enough time for no that that's that. that that one's this i probably shouldn't have said that because no takes a no while. uh we might have to get uh, <laughs> to get together and chat some other time too um no i i i love that and like i said, I, I think the guides are excellent because even like just the decalcifying like stuff like that is just general healthy practices i think I, I i don't think it has to be like we people will think of like oh well i have to do the decalcification processes and that it's like well most of the things like either like where, where you put down or even just that i've seen other places it's like most of it's pretty much getting healthy like that's going to be yeah the clearing it's it. cleaning your blood like yeah. it's basically improving your your blood flow so it's it's, it's all stuff and the calcification is not just the pineal the cal calcification in the body in general is a precursor to cancer you know that's what all the ct scans and all that's showing so yeah it, you it's 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 positioned for as for that but it's really you're right just regular health that's best best practices for health so Scott, I think let's wrap it up there because if not, I'm going to keep going down this pineal gland. Um, I, I really appreciate just a lot of what you shared. But if you wouldn't mind just kind of sharing with people, hey, where can they find you, all your work, uh, what they can do if they need to connect with you, anything like that, please. Sure. Uh, well, I uh, I kind of in, in line with what we were talking about for, for um, focusing and, and flow, I, I don't use social media. Uh, but uh, you can reach me uh, and read these guides on scottjeffrey.com. Uh, 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 J E F F R E Y. And yeah, there's, you can, like, as Nick said, there's, uh, you can, you can fall down. I've been told a lot of different rabbit holes and spend a lot of time reading some interesting stuff. So. Yeah. Like just think those wiki rabbit holes or whatever it is. Yeah. Like it's, it's a similar concept and you, you find something good. You, you're going to go down there. Um, but Scott, thank you again. I, I mean, this has been awesome. We've been all over the place and I, I think that's what it's about. Everything we still talked about today, truly was about health and and that's what i love for sure Whether it's the the physical health the mental emotional yeah. all across the board uh scott thank you again so much thanks for having me nick this was fun